I got to perform my first wedding in uh, Cayman this past weekend. Uh, and thankfully, they're still wet, married and that sort of thing. Uh, Tony, Tony Gibson and Nadia Vincent, if you know them, part of our congregation, uh, they were married this weekend over at the Cracked Conk. Um, so one of the effects of this is while I wanted to get out, <clears throat> pardon me, into the community and ask questions like we've been doing in this series, we did that kind of towards the beginning, I wanted to go out with my friend Carl and go ask uh, questions to the community of the surprisingness of Jesus' teachings and this sort of thing. Uh, it was a very busy uh, time this weekend, was able, unable to do so. But the question I would have put before other people, and sort of the question before us this morning is, what do you believe God thinks of rebellion? Describe what you believe God thinks of rebellion. Typically this would be a pretty easy answer. But I'm actually going to argue this morning that one of the hardest things to do in life, which is pray. Right? One of the hardest things to do in the Christian life is to pray and to keep praying. One of the hardest things to do in life can best be achieved through one of the most natural things to do in life, which is rebel. <laughs> the most natural things to do in life is rebel. Read with me Luke 18, 1 through 8. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, the judge refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. So that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray over the reading of God's word. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this challenge to prayer. Lord, uh, sort of a topic we haven't covered here. Uh, at least in my time here at sunrise, I pray that you would Use your word mightily this morning. We know that it will not return to you empty, but will accomplish what you desire and achieve the purpose for which you sent it. So we claim that promise this morning from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start out this morning telling you about a fella named Tom Morello. Tom's father was a member of the Mau Mau Guerrilla Army, which helped free Kenya from British colonial rule. Tom went on to graduate from Harvard University. It's a good university, by the way. 
Uh, he graduated there in 1986 with an honors degree in political science. Since he was a young boy, Tom loved playing the guitar. He learned to play the guitar, and he loved it. And in uh, 1992, he helped start a band called Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine became a popular, um, funky, sort of, kind of funky rhymes, but yet headbanger rock band, all right, in the mid to late 1990s. That was like their sweet spot right there, all right, big time radio play. And they were all about rage. They were, people were raging with rage in the mid to, you know, the mid 1990s. In fact, I'm going to play for you a song this morning. I want to give you a little taste of this because it has to do with our sermon. And I want you to see if you can pick up on any angst or rage. And, and you know, for you, there's some of you out there I think are closet headbangers out there, right? Right? I see it. I see it, particularly this area. I see it over here. And I just ask, you can, you can headbang, but please stay in your seats, okay? So just, just do that. But, but see if you can pick up on any angst or rage here. Let's play. We're going to play about a minute's worth of, of song. Rage Against the Machine, Bulls on Parade. So that is Rage Against the Machine. I know some of you are thinking, I really love that song. And the good news is, we're actually, the, the worship band's going to be playing that afterwards. So uh, doing a little reprise. So thanks guys for that. Um, <laughs> uh, you're probably wondering what's happening in this church. I, I'm not sure myself. I want to tell you a little bit about this band. I, I went on their website. And here's what they say about their, their name and kind of who they are. Here's a description if you log on to their website. They say this, Rage, by definition, is a violent, uncontrolled intensity expressed in movement or resistance. Rage is being fed up with the machine to the point of taking action. The machine is what we have come to know as our governments, our politics, our economies, the people and corporate conglomerates that have come to dominate our society in this day and age. The machine is the oppression of people everywhere, from Mexico to China to the United States. The machine is the politics that keep people out of power, keep the poor in their place, and the rich in the lap of luxury. The polluting fuel that runs the machine is money. 
The machine has brainwashed the people with the media that they control. Now the people have begun to believe the machine is the only way to survive. Last statement here. Rage Against the Machine is a people's movement everywhere to try and push back the corporations, the governments, and the empowered moralists from controlling our lives. It's a lot there. It's a fairly definitive statement for a rock band. who usually just says things like, right? And you think a lot of, you know, I don't want to get into the specifics of this, uh, but I will say this, that Rage Against the Machine got a lot of things right. That there's something wrong with the world and the corruption in it. All right? And they said something right about the response to that world and corruption, which is raging rebellion. There's this resistance, this rebellion expressed in this rage. It's right. They just forget one important element that we see Jesus advocate this morning, and that's prayer. Three things we're going to talk about this morning Jesus' approach to prayer. Our mistakes with regard to prayer, particularly this petitionary kind of prayer. And thirdly, making Jesus' approach to prayer really last in our lives. Okay, so we'll talk about those three things. First, Jesus' approach to prayer. The great thing I love about this parable is Luke comes right out, right out of the gates and tells us what Jesus' goal is in sharing this parable with his disciples. Which is, as you see in verse 1, to pray. And not give up. Right? I love that it comes right out and says this. This passage specifically has to do with a particular kind of prayer, what we call petitionary prayer. To petition God. Anybody know what a petition is? Anyone know what a petition is? Don't be ashamed. Okay, so most of us know it. A petition is a formal request for something specific that is submitted to an authority. All right, it's a formal request about something specific, specific kind of request submitted to an authority, someone who can do something about it. And in this case, God is that authority. How could we pray more? I was thinking about this. How could I possibly encourage you to pray more in your life and petition God? over and over again, these requests to an authority. The typical attempt I've seen in churches, a lot of times, um, so it goes something like this. Step one, a preacher like myself stands up here and gets all passionate and pleads with you and asks you basically a different version of the question, do you pray enough? Right, and if I got my southern draw working, I can really make it happen like, do you pray at 3 p.m., at 6 p.m., at lunch, at supper, when the alarm goes off, during Grey's Anatomy? Do you pray? All times, all situations. Do you pray? If I got my southern draw working well enough, it would lead to step two, which would be you might beat yourself up about this, which is, you know, I really don't pray enough. I feel like I should or at least as much as Ryan says I should. He said it 13 times with a strong accent as well, right? Which might lead to a third step, which would be, out of a burden of guilt, we commit to pray. But if you've been in these situations before, it's one of those sort of vague commitments, right? We, we kind of 
hazily commits, yeah, I'm going to pray more. But what does that look like? What does that mean in our lives? I'm not going to tell you this morning that our lack of petitionary prayer is due to a lack of effort or a lack of commitment. In fact, I think one of the underlying problems is this. It starts with just understanding petitionary prayer. One of the underlying problems is that we have been unclear about or perhaps we've chosen to ignore the essence of petitionary prayer. The essence of petitionary prayer, which is rebellion. Raging rebellion. And specifically, it's rebellion against the world and its fallenness. Rebellion against the world and its fallenness. What do I mean? When I say the world is fallen, fallen, what do I mean by this? I mean that when our forefather Adam, our foremother Eve, after they were created, they stopped trusting God. They stopped trusting God and that was shown, it was demonstrated, and then partaking of this fruit that God specifically told them not to. There was one commandment. But really, that arose from a failure to trust God. They simply stopped trusting that God was good. And when that happened, sin, and they called sin, and evil came into the world. And since then, death and decay have reigned. Because Romans 5 said, the result of sin is death. That's the natural result of sin coming into the world, is death everywhere. Not just in individuals, in creation, in societies, governments. There's a sort of sense of decay that goes on. And that reigns because of sin. So the essence of prayer being rebellion against the world and its fallenness. And that's Jesus' approach to prayer. Jesus' approach is an absolute, undying refusal to accept as normal what is in fact very abnormal. A refusal to accept as normal what is in fact very abnormal. God did not intend for this, for all that we see around us, to be the ideal just conditions. And someone in this parable... So one of this parable recognizes it. A widow. Right? A widow. With this widow refuses to accept her unjust situation as normal. She refuses. She has this conviction that this is in fact very abnormal. But if she stayed there, if that's the only thing that happened in her life, if that's the only thing she arrived at, just a conviction. She didn't do anything about it. Like other beliefs and convictions we have that we don't act upon can often lead to bitterness, right? If something was unjust in her life and she, she knew it but did nothing about it, what happens is we, we grow bitter as people. Bitter towards ourselves, bitter towards friends, bitter towards the world in general. Just an attitude of bitterness sweeps over us because it has been caught in our hearts. We believe something, but don't do anything about it. So she had this conviction that her situation was in fact very abnormal. And she acts upon it. She acts upon 
this refusal to accept this as normal. And she does so by pestering a judge. She goes out, she's going to do something about it, she's going to go straight to the source, straight to the person who can actually make things happen for her. In this case, a judge. And in our case, a Lord. And we see evidence of this. We see evidence of abnormal conditions through all kinds of injustices in our world today. Things that aren't the way they are originally intended to be. I'm going to mention a few um, that have just affected uh, Katie and I's life. Uh, A few we've brushed into. Uh, Health insurance companies that deceive vulnerable people through vague language. Right? We almost lost a ton of money through this. Not here on this island, but where else? My wife Katie's chronic back pain. Katie has had, had chronic back pain. She had chronic back pain since the age of 11. 11 years old. Lived with it through her 20s. Most of her 20s. Abnormal for an 11-year-old girl to experience chronic back pain. What about irresponsible fathers who prey upon and take advantage of a mother's maternal love and instincts? to care for her children. This is one where Katie and I nearly became foster parents as a result of this occasion I'm thinking of. You know these sorts of injustices, right? Each of us could rattle off a number of unjust situations in life. Jesus knew them too. Guys, Jesus knew them too. And it ticked him off. Did you know that? Did you know that it ticked Jesus off? Oftentimes we think of that one time Jesus got mad, right? People mention it all the time. Well, Jesus got angry, right? The famous exchange that he had with the, the money lenders outside of God's temple. And he tips over their tables. He gets angry. A den of robbers you've made my house. But there's another time in the Gospels. Jesus gets royally ticked off. During one of our Wednesday night Bible studies, during our Wednesday night Bible studies, we've been looking at parts of the Gospel of John. And this last week, we looked at John chapter 11. This past Wednesday, we looked at John chapter 11, which is the story of a dead man named Lazarus. And then Jesus raises this dead man to life. Alright? And you remember, you may remember the story that Jesus actually cries. He sees Lazarus' two sisters. And he sees this band of Jewish people who have come to comfort these two sisters. At this time of suffering and grief. And it says that Jesus wept. Now you may remember this verse. It's the shortest verse of the Bible. Jesus wept. What you may not know is that basically in the same moment, within the same minute that Jesus got royally ticked off. Twice a phrase is mentioned in John chapter 11 that he was deeply moved. That's a translation from the Greek word embrimaomai. Embrimaomai literally should be translated anger. 
In fact, the New Living Translation has it right when it says that he was moved with indignation. And it mentions this twice around Jesus weeping. So it says it, Jesus weeps, but Jesus gets mad again. What caused Jesus to be moved with anger during a time of tragedy and grief? Kind of a strange emotion. What caused it? Sin. Sin and its effect on the entire world. Since sin has come into the world, the world is decaying and people are dying. That's the effect of sin in the world. Jesus recognized it. And he knew that in God's kingdom, God's kingdom, which is life, decay and death are very much abnormal. And so Jesus does something about it, doesn't he? When he raises Lazarus from the dead, in doing so, he is himself rebelling against the present order of decay and death. And you know how he does it. He does it through prayer. If you go back and read John 11, he stops and he prays. He says, I thank you, Father, for listening to me. You always listen to me. But then he says, I say this for the sake of the people who are here with me. He gave us an example. To rebel in prayer against the present order of death, decay, and injustice in this world. It's amazing. Jesus gets it right. So how do we tend to go so wrong? I want to talk about two mistakes that we make in prayer. Two mistakes we make when praying to God and pleading with Him when we see injustice. All right. Mistake number one with petitionary prayer is accepting life as it is. Accepting life as it is. This is the famous, one of my favorite sayings to just say in general. So I guess I have to give this up or else I'd be a hypocrite. I keep saying it now. It is what it is, right? You know, it is what it is. To accept life simply as it is, is to give up the Christian view of God described in this parable. It means, as Luke says in verse 1, to give up. Right? This is the easiest thing to do. If you're like me, when it comes to relating to God, laziness is a hallmark quality. And certain religions actually cater to this. Do you know this? Certain forms of Christianity and other world religions, like actually Buddhism, are very conducive to this way of thinking, to becoming resigned. In fact, Buddhism is really an attempt to gradually resign from the world. Because they believe the world will never change. The suffering, the decay, the death will never change. So the point is to become gradually resigned, gradually detached from the world. That's pretty much the whole, there's the whole goal in practicing Buddhism. Now with this mistake, you may have an objection. It's a good objection. It's a, it's a valid objection at least. Ryan, isn't what you're saying denying the sovereignty of God. That he is totally in control. And he can even work good 
through evil circumstances? It's a good question. Excellent point. Romans 8.28 says that God works all things, even suffering, even hard circumstances, even difficulties. He works all things for the good of those who love him. You may think of a story version of this, right? Remember the end of Genesis, where a man named Joseph has 11 other brothers, and they're all jealous of him. He has a lot of dreams. He's the favorite son of his father. So what do they do? They take him out, and uh, they sell him into slavery. An awful thing to happen. I mean, I, you know. That's, that's, like an, that's a total understatement. I don't even know how to describe how awful this would be. But it turns out to be the best career move that Joseph ever makes. Best career move he makes. Through a bunch of trials and tribulations and God working through his life in a powerful manner, Joseph essentially becomes vice president of all of Egypt and helps save the Jewish nation. God uses him to save the Jewish nation. Amazing. God works sovereignly through Horrible circumstances. But, but, what if you just assume, you just assume the status quo is what God wants for the future. And so you don't ask. And we have finite minds. We don't know what God wants. So we just leave it. We just say, oh, status quo. What if you let it go and become resigned to the notion that something is seemingly God's will when it is in fact not his will. And so after a prayer or three, you give up. You just give up. Do you really want to take such a foolish, foolish risk in your life? God, you very well be wanting to use your prayers. He has a plan and is waiting to use your prayers to move graciously with justice into a situation in life. To bring about life where there's decay and death. Furthermore, we know that prayers for legitimate justice will be fulfilled. Ultimately, we have the assurance that the Son of God, the Son of Man, will return and right all the wrongs with the world. Right? As it says in verse 8. Read with me there. Where he says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. When the Son of Man returns, he will establish a just kingdom. A just kingdom. And we saw this last week, right? At the end of Luke chapter 17. He's going to come like that and restore an awesome kingdom. Mistake number two we make with petitionary prayer. Mistake number two is extreme do something about it-ism. Right, I've made up this philosophy. Uh, this is not an official worldview, uh, but it's out there in reality. I just gave it a name. Extreme do something about it-ism. The line of thinking is this. It's not enough that we pray about this injustice. We need to do something about it. But then, oftentimes in saying that, we actually fail to really rage in prayer about it. Right? So we just do. This is an easy one. For, this, is, this is one I fall into quite quickly. 
it's been a great blessing. And so I had the opportunity to be involved with this men's prison ministry on island uh, since we moved here over at Northwoods Prison. And uh, to speak there occasionally. And last week, I was up there with a few of the guy, a few guys. Um, a prisoner named Don got up to share a testimony. He was very forthright about some injustices he and others had experienced in prison. All right? Most of us can only imagine what that's like and the things he's seen, right? But instead of riling myself and other ministry workers there, instead of riling us up to action, this man immediately riled us up to prayer. Together we prayed and we wept and we pleaded for change, not only in the prisons, but in this man's own life. And that's what we did. We raged, rebelled against prayer. And I was so thankful that that's, that was his first priority. When it comes to injustice, our next step might be action. But our first step must be persistent, enduring prayer. That's what Jesus is saying here. Rage Against the Machine. This band, they've broken up a few times since the 1990s. They're kind of off and on. And they've now come out with a live album and, of course, and a best of album. Which means, of course... Uh, that really it's the beginning of the end for them. You know, when, when a band gets to the point where they consecutively put out a live album and then a best of album, it means, it means we're done. We got nothing left. You know, not even Pandora Radio is playing us anymore. Right? This is it. This is all we got. Our own website doesn't even want to play us. Uh, we're, we're just not good. So it, it seems as if... Sadly, the rage, the rage has died out for Rage Against the Machine. And why has it died out? Burnout. They burned out. We all know what it's like to rage. Get riled up. We all too often forget just how quickly we give up quickly we resign ourselves to the normal. And that's what, that's what results, isn't it? What results from giving up? Just resignation. Resignation. It is what it is. Get used to it. Right? These are the words of, a, of the hardened old cynic. Right? Or some of us would see them as the wise old man. It is what it is. Get used to it. We might see it either way, depending on how much faith we have. How can we make raging rebellion last? How can we make Jesus' approach to prayer really last? He tells us in verse 8. Faith. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find someone with enough trust in who he is and his power? Jesus knows that as human beings, our problem won't be initially getting riled up and psyched up to rebel and rage against the machine against, of this world. 
He knows our problem will be lasting in that rebellion. Finishing the job. Do we trust in a God who exercises power in this world and wants to deliver justice? Believe in a God who wants to work graciously outside of these four walls. A God who comes alive through in and even outside the printed words on a book like this. Believe and really, really believe in a God like this. Because friends, this world, this world is not as it should be. And if that makes you angry, great. But your anger won't last. If this provides you with a life vision, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but you'll eventually resign yourself to a cookie-cutter life. But, if you're ticked off at the abnormalcy of the world, and, and you trust, really trust, that God can and will right the wrongs that saturate this world, then raging rebellion is for you. It must happen through trusting a God who can right the wrongs. This morning, in a nutshell, I encourage you to rage in prayer against the machine of this world by trusting the God who can turn such rage into results. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you instruct us with a challenging word in prayer. Lord, this world is not as it should be. But you know, as a follow-up to one of the examples I used earlier, Lord, just think of, think of my wife Katie, who is the, since 11 years old has struggled with chronic back pain, Lord. We prayed for so long. I have a sheet at home that has every day marked out Sunday through Saturday praying for healing for her back. Since we were married nine years ago, I've been praying that, Lord. And others have been praying that every day. And two years ago, Lord, you answered that prayer. Two and a half years ago. Through a strange way, Lord, really through our youngest son who couldn't even talk, you answered that prayer. I just say that, Lord, I'm not a man of great faith or overly persistent in prayer, I confess. But I know that you use a simple prayer with simple faith that endures, that rebels against the abnormalcy of this world. God, I pray that you would do that in our lives. Ignite a prayer that would last starting today, going over a number of days, through this week, through this month, through this coming year and on, Lord, like this persistent widow. Because we believe, God, you can do something about this. You can do something about that thing that is on our heart that is so abnormal. And Lord, for those of us who don't believe, we pray like that Father did in Mark. Help us overcome our unbelief.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.